This morning's reading, Winter Solstice, is an excerpt from In Nature's Honor by Patricia Montley. The sacredness of this hour of the sun's return has been honored in stories from around the world. Mythology suggests that ancients overcame their fear of the sun deserting them with sympathetic magic. Diverse tales tells of sun deities who withdrew their life-sustaining energy from Earth and must be coaxed out of hiding each year, like a new baby from its mother's womb. The Cherokee sun, Unalani, locks herself in her house, grieving for her dead daughter, and can be enticed to smile only by the music and dancing of young people. Bumang, sun goddess of the Mayang of India, covers herself with a gigantic rock at the death of her sister. Only when a carpenter revives her sister does the goddess emerge to the singing of all animals. The Finnish Pevatar is captive in a dark cave guarded by a witch whose henchmen must be vanquished by a poet before the sun can be freed. Amaterasu Omakami, whom even modern Japanese emperors have claimed as an ancestor, hid in a cave, leaving heaven and earth in darkness. To entice her forth, the eight million spirits of the plain of heaven assembled trees before the cave, bedecked with jewels, lighted bonfires, and laughed aloud with uproar at a raucous dance. Apparently, our ancestors believed that at the winter solstice, the sun can be wooed out of hiding only with music and dancing, singing and poetry, jeweled trees, bonfire, and laughter. Perhaps we still believe it. Otherwise, why would we practice our sympathetic magic in the dark of December? Why string our evergreen trees with lights, bedeck them with sun-shaped jewels, Why light bonfires in our hearths and set candles in our windows? Why shoot fireworks into the black sky, dance raucously, and laugh aloud on New Year's Eve? Why gather in Times Square a crowd of strangers pressing for community and count the seconds till the great illuminated ball makes its slow descent, bringing the bright promise of possibility? Because it's the birthday of the sun. Sympathetic magic. I like that phrase for what it is that we do this time of year. We perform sympathetic magic. We light candles. We decorate our homes. We light blazing fires in our hearths and fire pits. We decorate trees. We throw parties. We laugh. We sing special songs. We dance. Those of you who were here last week got a taste of this fellowship's special sympathetic magic. Our annual pancake breakfast celebrated the second Sunday of December each year. For those of you who are new to our community, come next year and experience our sympathetic magic at the pancake breakfast. I learned recently that the paper chain ritual that we do every year, you'll notice the green and red paper chain adorning our tree. It's a long-standing ritual here at our fellowship. And our paper chain ritual, I've learned, 
has been adopted by our friends at Neighbors Link, our partners at, at uh, Neighbors Link with whom we work to, to throw a Christmas party on the first Sunday of December every year. And our, our friends at Neighbors Link now adorn their community center each year with precisely cut and stapled alternating links of red and green. We've loaned them a little bit of our sympathetic magic and in doing so created a connection, a connection that is likely to endure the test of time, a connection that is likely to spread and brighten more places than just this one. All around the world, different cultures have adopted rituals of sympathetic magic to deal with the darkness in these, the shortest days of the year. It's hard not to notice the days getting shorter and shorter. It's hard not to notice, it's hard not to be affected by the fact that the sun is down and the night sky is dark at five o'clock in the evening. Our ancestors noticed it too. They might not have had watches to go, well, it's only five o'clock and the sun is down already. They might not have done that. But they definitely noticed the days getting shorter. They noticed that the sun was dwindling. And in their ways of understanding the world, they came up with all sorts of rituals and celebrations to coax the sun back to us. And lo and behold, each year that they did those celebrations, each year that they lit candles and adorned trees and had children singing and lit fires, each year the sun returned to us. So throughout the Northern Hemisphere, people are currently celebrating in ways that were designed by our ancient ancestors, ancestors to convince the sun to be reborn to return to us and give us light and warmth. I believe that that sympathetic magic that we do this time of year teaches us a few important lessons that I want to spend some time with today. The first is that the coldness of winter holds within it the seed of possibility. Out in nature, just under the surface of the soil are seeds of all sorts spread by their, their parent plants in the in summer and fall, helped by birds and animals of all sorts. And those seeds are waiting in the cold, damp soil. They're waiting for the sun to return. They're waiting for the warmth to return in order to germinate, to burst Forth. The coldness of winter holds within it seeds of possibility, literal and metaphorical. Gestation and birth are apt metaphors for this season. In fact, I learned a long time ago that this, this room in which we worship was envisioned as a place of gestation by the architect who designed it. We come in here and we sit in stillness for a time together, and we form into something that we were not when we arrived here. And we are birthed forward from this room something new, something different. It is no surprise that different religions have used the metaphor of gestation and birth to talk about this time of year. It is no surprise that the Christian religion has 
celebrated the birth of their most important prophet at this time of year, no matter what time of year it was that Jesus was actually born. The season of Advent, which we honor by lighting the candles in the Advent wreath, is all about waiting for the birth of Jesus. But other religions have traditions of waiting for the birth of light in the world as well. Whatever our theology, when we come here at this, the darkest time of year, we are waiting for the return of life to this chilly and barren earth we inhabit. And so it is good to be reminded that this coldness of winter has the seed of possibility within it. And when the sun returns and the warmth returns, all sorts of things will burst forth that were not here last fall. The second thing I think it's good to be reminded of at this time of winter solstice is that we, human beings, have the power to bring light into the darkness. What a perfect day it was today to celebrate the dedication of a child into this community, to celebrate the joy that having a child in this community brings to all of us, his parents and family, but all of us who get to see him smile and grow and develop. What a perfect day it was. It was probably a good thing we had a blizzard in October. That wasn't as perfect a day to celebrate a child dedication as this one was. So I ask, why do you think that for so many cultures, those rituals to entice the sun back into the sky involved laughter and singing and parties and merriment. I think that humans, in looking to nature for inspiration and spirituality, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we are, too, part of nature. Everything that we do is part of nature. What, what we do and how we live is part of the world that is around us. And so the light that we create is every bit as part of nature as the sun that graces us with its presence every day. The candles that we light, the chalice that we light, the lights with which we adorn our tree, those are not fake light. They provide real light. There is no need for na- to wait for nature to bring back the sun when we can make light ourselves. There is no need to be sad about the dropping of the thermometer when we can make happiness and warmth ourselves. There is no need to mourn the loss of bird songs in the trees when we have the power to fill every room we enter with songs of joy and hope and love with a song of laughter and merriment and partying. We have the ability to bring light into the darkness, literally and figuratively as well. Where there is darkness, metaphorical darkness, evil and suffering and pain in this world, we have the ability to bring light to it, to, he- to bring healing where there is hurt, to bring justice where there is oppression. We human beings have that ability. And the return of the beginning of the return of the sun as the days begin to lengthen reminds us of that ability because we have to do something to stave off the darkness. 
The third thing I think it's important to remember at the time of solstice is that whatever it is we do, however it is we act, however, whatever attitude we greet this season with, the light of nature, the light of the sun, will soon return on its own. There are some things in this world that are beyond our control. It is good to remember that as well on this, the winter solstice. We are in the darkest part of the great circle of the year. But that circle, in just a few short days, that circle will turn back again towards light. In just a few short days, the the sunlight will begin to lengthen. We won't notice it at first. It'll just be a few seconds each day. But as the weeks go by, it will be hard not to notice that the days are once again getting longer. Today, I ask us to take advantage of the darkness, of the stillness, of the silence, of the coldness. We have set up in the middle of our worship space today a labyrinth. We have taken to setting up this labyrinth at each uh, new season, the beginning of each new season, of each solstice and equinox. It has become our way in this fellowship of marking the turning of that great circle of the year. But I believe that at the winter solstice, there's a special opportunity that this labyrinth presents us, a special opportunity for stillness and silence, a special opportunity to be open to new possibilities in our lives. And that is really what the labyrinth is all about. For those of you who've never walked a labyrinth before, it is an ancient spiritual practice practice in cultures all over the world. There are labyrinths in the floors of cathedrals in Europe and in ancient religious sites throughout the world. The labyrinth is a type of maze, but it is not a maze that one can get lost in. It is a winding path with one way in and the same way out. And the winding path is designed to help us clear our minds as we focus on the twists and turns of the path into and out of the labyrinth, we clear our minds of all of the busy things that are distracting us from the possibility that awaits us. And so I invite you today to experience our labyrinth, to, after our stewardship conversation, take some time to walk it. For some people, they walk it with a particular intention. Some people walk it with a particular prayer Some people just walk it as a way to open themselves up to whatever the still, small voice within has to say. And this, at this time of great darkness, at this time of stillness and coldness in our earth, it is, I believe, the best time of year to listen for that still, small voice. There is so little other noise out there to distract us from it. Today we create sympathetic magic together. Sympathetic magic that helps us face the darkness in our world with light. That helps us to know that the sun will soon be on its way back to us. That the circle of the year is turning. And the darkness in our world now requires us to meet it with light 
and laughter and merriment. It requires us to create light wherever darkness is found. So let us celebrate that in whatever way we can.